1: Jim Kramer, welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people want to make friends, i just trying to make some money. My job is not just entertainment, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 73 CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Somebody, somebody panicked today. <laughs> some major institutional money manager decided simply couldn't take it anymore. Too much pain.
2: The house of pain.
1: And there was too much risk and too much uncertainty. So this manager dumped the tech? Sell, 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 sell. Yeah, it was tech holdings that did it. And their exit created a ton of collateral damages. That's what you have to understand on days like today. That's how you get a vicious day where the Dow lost 144 points, s drop point. dropped And the NASDAQ in particular got crushed, a victim of indiscriminate selling that caused it to shed 1.39%. Although I should tell you, that was a nice and important rally from the low, and that could figure into tomorrow's session. Now, as regular viewers already know, I'm a big believer in the idea that no one ever made a dime panicking. There's almost always a better time to sell than right into the maelstrom of fear. But for most people, panic is what comes naturally. That's why I'm always warning you about it. When you see a big seller dumping, we figure that that seller must know more than we do, so we join in. That's human nature. Sometimes I am trying to just get you To rein in your human nature. Of course, history tells us that buying interest percolates over time. But panics, on the other hand, are like a life in the Hobbesian state of nature. Nasty, brutish, short. In the old days, weakness a couple of stocks would bring out selling and it would spill over to maybe a sector, maybe two sectors. These days, though, with so many groups connected via ETFs, you get wildfire sell-offs. They can't be put out. You just need to let them run the course. So what started the fire? What triggered today's panic? Let's start with Facebook, which set off the stock market equivalent of an atomic bomb last week. Now, I went to the Tarpon Rodeo at the end of last week. That's a, uh, the oldest fishing derby in the United States. It's off of Grand Isle in Louisiana, where we caught hundreds of fish next to 99 Baker. That's a gigantic hulking mass of a decommissioned oil rig for the Gulf, including, yes, we brought home the key white trout category first place. Now, there's no self-service on board the Charisse, our ship, but I could swear, I could swear, I could swear, I felt a big tremor. It was the equivalent to us of another Deepwater Horizon. It was when Facebook reported. I won't mince words here. Facebook put up one of the worst quarters versus the estimates this year and then complicated it with a nonchalant conference call, almost made it sound like they were actually proud of how they'd done. It was like something from an alternate universe. But the truth is, Facebook saw a dramatic slowdown in its growth rate, coupled with a dramatic increase in its rate of spending, as the company needs to comply with rules that they thought they were already complying with, or maybe they thought they were immune from. Who knows? Judging for the pitiful guidance, things are only going to get worse. It felt like Facebook transformed itself from a social media Maserati to a Greyhound bus heavily regulated by dozens of governments all over the world. Meanwhile, they prattled on during the call, saying... It sounded borderline insane, frankly. Memo to Mark Zuckerberg. You can be as arrogant as you want when you're winning, but when you're losing, could you at least pretend to have some humility? I tried to find one good thing to talk about tonight. I'm going over it. I said, well, i got to find something. i got to... No, it was ghastly. At one point, I actually questioned whether the whole darn thing's a house like cards. Now, in all honesty, I believe that Facebook was being overly negative on that conference call, under-promising so they could eventually over-deliver down the road. But the narrative was so darn negative that I have to wonder, what the heck were they thinking? Rather than management's conceited, self-congratulatory riff, I think they should have pre-announced that things had slowed. Yeah, maybe a month ago, say it, perhaps right during the middle of the quarter when Zuckerberg was selling billions of dollars worth of stock. Oh, yeah, there's that. The lack of pre-announcement makes it seem like those guys have lost touch with reality. I mean, maybe they're just too rich. I don't know. Now, the thermonuclear explosion was so potent and so shocking that it sent Facebook stock down 19 percent. There's this big company. On Friday, we saw a wave of radiation emanating from that blast zone. Today, it looked like we might get some stabilization, but that turned out to be overly optimistic. It felt like some key large cap tech names ventured outside their bunkers and probably got radiation poisoning. Yeah, which triggered the awful panic that crushed the Nasdaq today. The fallout covered the cloud kings, a company like ServiceNow, which I like so much. uh, They just reported a fine quarter. Oh, it hit Alphabet. It hit Amazon, two of the best in show. It hit Adobe, a big rollback of some recent hard-fought gains. Even Microsoft got slammed, despite reporting what are arguably one of the best results in tech this year. The linked ETFs then sent these fellow fellow traveling stocks cascading into the red. That kind of undisciplined selling is how you know you're looking at a panic. Now, for once, the guilt by association thesis made some sense. Facebook is just that important, it is. Whether fewer people are going online or Facebook's ads are just less effective, what, what they can't do uh, whatever they want with your, de- when they can't do whatever they want with your data, People figured that every stock on the social media periphery deserved to be down, too. So, I mean, when you know, think about it like this, well, if it's bad for Facebook, it's got to be bad for everybody. Facebook's so big, okay? And now, I'm not buying it. Social media is simply not a used driver of the cloud, which is what these companies are. Remember, they're about the cl- cloud kings, onboarding the cloud. Amazon and Microsoft now but all po- posted extraordinary strong results in the web service business. All right, Twitter delivered much slower growth. It's kind of shocking. Real bad again today. So you can understand why so many people panic when they saw the cloud names rolling over again. Who wants to own expensive tech stocks when they can be in safer, more value-oriented tech stocks? Broadcom comes to mind with a big buyback. Intel, of course, although I didn't like that quarter. IBM, which had a good quarter. But here's the thing. When money comes out of these stocks, it tends to go back into other stocks in a different sector. For example, we saw scattered buying in the drugs, the biotechs, the banks, some industrials, and some retailers. That kind of themeless buying is also indicative of a pure panic, kind of like every man for himself buying. The banks go up because the 10-year treasury yield is climbing, which makes them knee-jerk buys. The drug stocks, well, they've come down to levels where they're too tantalizing slash value oriented to ignore. The industrials, well, that's all about cooling intentions with Europe, as well as the 4% GDP growth we got on Friday. The retailers, look, I could foment something, but there's really nothing to say here, except that if you believe the trade war with China is staying hot, especially with the collapse of the NXP semiconductor deal, more on that later, then you want to stay domestic. Is there anything more domestic than retailers? So what next? I'm going to give you an outlier forecast. You didn't hear this today from anyone. I think the kind of panic we got today is often a cleansing action, like a big rainstorm that washes away the detritus of the weak hands. If you wait until tomorrow and pick among the rubble of stocks that were only down as collateral damage, the ones that don't actually have anything to do with social media, then I think those are going to be bargains. (laughs) Why? Because the same trends that were so important before Facebook, I'll give you some cybersecurity, video games, Internet of Things, cloud onboarding. They're still important, but the related stocks have been reset in price. That's what many would be buyers have been waiting for. Now that we've finally gotten the pullback, don't move the goalpost, people. Don't say I'll wait for them to go even lower because there's more panic ahead. There probably isn't. The bottom line is is when we get this kind of action, you have to say to yourself, hey, you know what? I was waiting for a big break in prices like we just had. Now it's time to put money to work, scooping up some high-quality stocks at much lower levels. Remember, after the panic, it it doesn't storm. It gets calm. And you have to take advantage of these prices before everyone else realizes that the panics are temporary. And the opportunity to buy is now over. Michael in Nevada. Michael.
3: Longtime follower, second-time caller, chairman club member, longtime Eagles fan from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, fly, Eagles, fly. Yeah, go Bears. Jim, my, qu- Jim, my question
2: concerns CVS.
1: CVS the I healthcare. My- or CBS the Les Moonves care? CVS? Oh, uh, like CVS. CVS. I think that group, I think, well, by the way, I was looking at Walgreens City. That one's coming all the way back. CVS has got a good acquisition that they're doing. I think you got a real buy going here. I think that the worst is over. Remember, Amazon doesn't destroy everybody. Jim in Wisconsin. Jim. Jim Jim from New Berlin, Wisconsin. All right, partner.
3: I'm interested in making an investment in HCLP because uh, the dividend's pushing 8%. What do you think
4: of it? And do you think the dividend is safe?
1: Uh, What do you think of
4: uh, fracking in the Permian because of the lack of pipelines there and that HCLP just opened a sand mine there?
1: Yeah, look, I've got to tell you that at 19%, I'm going to say that that's a red flag. Even though I know know it's been acting well, I do think that, you know, in the end, this stock has moved too much and that dividend is not safe. Bill in Illinois, Bill! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Long-time of course. National alert member. Thank you. This company reported two weeks ago, top and bottom line beat gross margins were up 39 percent and they raised for the year. The, the company is about 88 percent in the U.S. and only 12 in Canada. So really not impacted by China tariffs or talks. United Rentals is in the house of pain down 10 points. Since reporting 15% year to date and no pin action off a of cat. No, uh, you... none. And I got, first of all, thank you for subscribing to com and being a club member because we were going to buy this stock. I sat down with the quarter, I sat down with the conference calls, I sat down with analysts who know it really well and portfolio managers. None of us can figure out what's wrong. And you know what? That means there could be something and we haven't figured it out. And I'm uncomfortable pushing that stock here. All right, someone panicked. Someone panicked today. And you have to remember, after the panic, it doesn't storm, it gets calm. And therefore, it could be the time to put money to work. Well, Man Money Tonight, we are in the midst of a confusing earnings season, but I'm revealing the stars of the show. They may be the best places to go. Then, the saga's ended, but we must move forward. I'm chipping away at NXPI after the Qualcomm merger collapse. And Land Research's latest quarter likely marked the bottom. Or at least that's what the CEO
2: says. I've got the
1: exclusive. So stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity, or or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com/apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com/apps.
1: We're midway through earnings season, and we've already seen some very clear winners. Among losers. But now that we've been burned by Facebook and Twitter, I want to focus on the standouts. The companies that have managed to deliver the biggest beats versus what Wall Street was expecting because their stocks are worth buying into this market-wide weakness that we're having. Let's start with the obvious. Didn't get weak today. AMD. When I was fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, I caught a seven-foot, bigger than my wingspan, black-tipped shark. We immediately named it El Monstro. This quarter, AMD just reported it was an el monstro quarter for CEO Lisa Su. For the first time in my 30 years of covering this industry, AMD jumped ahead of Intel in a slew of categories, from gaming chips and data centers to actual personal computers. Even better, this may be just the beginning of the leap over Intel, and the the gross margins so crucial in the semi-industry are starting to go higher. I got to tell you, Su has executed a remarkable turnaround here. She took over as CEO in 2014, get this, remember this number, when AMD stock was at three, okay, three. First, she fixed the company's tattered balance sheet. Then she began bringing in new talent, engineers who shot not for the moon but for the stars. I admit, for the first few years, I was a skeptic. But you can't stay skeptical after a string of fabulous quarters and a stock that touched 20 today. Three, 20 as Sue told us on the call, and I quote, "We ended the first half of 2018 strong, delivering our first, f- our f- delivering our fourth consecutive quarter of double-digit year-over-year revenue growth, driven by increased demand for our high-performance products." End quote. AMD grew its quarterly revenue by 53% versus last year. Its cost margins were up 300 basis points, which translated into the company's highest quarterly net income in seven years. What can you say to those numbers other than, bravo? Next up, there's Microsoft, which reported fantastic top and bottom line. Gaming, personal computers, standard operating systems, and LinkedIn, tremendous. But the star of the show was Azure, Microsoft's cloud business. While it's tough playing catch-up to Amazon, this company has totally reinvented itself. Not too long ago, everyone presumed Microsoft's best days were behind it. Nope, not anymore. Now we got a, a slew of industrials, a trio Honeywell, Ingersoll Ray, United Technologies. Honeywell, which is breaking itself up, revealed that. Amazon, had become an incredibly important client for warehouse automation. Who knew? Of course, its aerospace and climate controls divisions were much better than expected. Same goes for United Technologies, which also could split itself up when a new deal that's about to close happens. Uh, this, these companies are coining money with excellent organic growth, rising margins. Inglosol ran through organic growth expectations. This was a shocker to me. Remarkable order numbers also for climate controls. What a terrific business. And remember, these numbers are all for before the big worldwide heat wave. Who else gave us a huge win? I got to exploit Expedia, which finally managed to integrate its home away acquisition in a profitable business. Into a profitable business, it's allowed the company to become the closest public equivalent to Airbnb. Hats off to frequent halftime and closing bell contributor Stephanie Link, who urged people to get long Expedia ahead of the quarter. Last but not least, I'd be remiss not to mention Amazon and Alphabet. I know, we've been seeing 24-hour wall-to-wall coverage of the death of Fang. Can we stop that? And Facebook was really terrible. I said that. But the story obscures the fact that these two companies are doing incredibly well. Amazon's making so much money, you can't even hide it anymore by spending aggressively to bolster its growth. That's not been the Amazon way. It's like, like they actively try not to show profit, but their earnings are so huge, they can't help it anymore. Alphabet's got religion, again, with better than expected advertising numbers and the prospect that its Waymo autonomous driving division could have actually generate some earnings this year. Google's an advertising juggernaut, and so is YouTube. And frankly, if Facebook is having trouble, then you can expect more ad dollars to flow to Alphabet. Look, there are lots of other winners, and I'm, I'm really slighting them here, but the ones I just mentioned have been the stars of the show so far. They're the best places to go as the market tumbles in confusion over who's guilty and who's innocent in this rapidly eroding earnings season. We're going to go to Sameet in Illinois. Sameet! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my phone call. Of course. I have a couple quick questions about Mercado Libre, ticker M E L I. Stock was trading for a while around 290 and rallied all the way to 385, now down to 340. I can't seem to time my entry into this. And the couple questions I have is it's been touted as the Amazon of Latin America. One, do you see potential in it? And two, with the strengthening US dollar. How do you think it'll affect the profits? Okay, look, it's a great question. I remember when this company came public, and uh, it was a very, very long time ago. And I think it is doing quite well. But sometimes you got to know what you don't know. And I think the Mercado Libre has become hard for me to predict. Look, I'm perfectly willing to go out there and and predict even Alibaba and Baidu. But this uh, Buenos Aires-based company is too hard for me. Steve in Kansas, Steve.
3: Yeah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, my son's 401k and Mad Money
4: are heavily invested in his employer stock, uh, Cerner, C E R N. Uh, they report earnings on August seventh, August second. Excuse me. Historically, they drop on earnings. Uh, what are your thoughts on Cerner and the upcoming? Yeah, it's funny I was going
1: to say historically they drop on earnings, and then they just seem to go higher. So to me, the case if you want to buy more. Just get ready to buy it when they drop on earnings, otherwise ride it through. It is a very successful company that does reduce the cost of healthcare to the American people, uh, including uh, the actual federal government. All right, this earnings season has quickly turned into a confusing one. Notice I didn't say bad, confusing. Sure, there are more winners out there, but these are the stars that I think are a place to go. They're all remarkable. And this one, Dr. Lisa Sue, congratulations. All right, still ahead. As the end of Qualcomm's deal with NXPI created opportunity, I'm digging into NXPI's decline. You don't want to miss this. Then Lamb research spiked after earnings, but it is down 2% today, although KLA 10 court poured a good quarter after the close. I'm going to bring into focus what Lamb is saying by talking to the CEO. And for the past year, insurance was not where you wanted to be, but jobs up nearly 10% in the last month, and maybe it is the best of the best. Is it time to re-examine the space? I'm going to sit down and interview with the CEO. So stick with Kramer.
0: TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter.
1: What the heck do you do with NXP semiconductors if you weren't lucky enough to sell the darn thing much higher? I mean, this thing has really gotten crushed. We were able to sell it for charitable trust. Maybe it's better to be lucky than good. Qualcomm spent nearly two years trying to buy NXP, and last week, they finally gave up after the latest missed deadline for the deal's approval, thank China, causing the stock to just get slammed. Less than two months ago, NXP was trading at 120 now it's at 95 Ouch! But you know what? At these levels, I think the semiconductor company is pretty, pretty attractive. I'm going to go against what everybody's saying here. I, and I'm going to say that it's attractive even without a takeover. Why is that? Let me explain. Years ago, NXP was one of the sexiest growth stocks in the whole semiconductor industry. 2015, they acquired Freescale, a deal that transformed the company into the fourth largest chip maker on earth, with a ton of exposure to the automobile market and the IoT, the Internet of Things. Back then, I figured NXP would make a terrific standalone company. That's why we own it from a charitable trust, which you can follow at actionlordsplus.com by joining the club. But then in October 2016, Qualcomm stepped in with a bountiful takeover. Then last year, the activists at Elliott Management, really smart firm, stepped in. Successfully, they agitated to boost NXP's price tag. They backed Qualcomm into a corner, ultimately pushing the price up to $127.50 a share. Everything was looking good until the president decided to get medieval on China with this trade dispute. So far, I think it's safe to say that Qualcomm and NXP have become the biggest casualties of the trade war, at least here in America. What happened? In April, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce moved to block the deal based on trumped-up antitrust worries. Every other regular on Earth approved this deal. China wouldn't sign on. They, they kept saying there were antitrust issues. I, I don't know. David Faber and I looked at it. We couldn't find one. And while the Chinese never formally rejected the deal, they did drag their feet long enough to scuttle the transaction. Finally, last Wednesday, the two companies blew past yet another internal deadline, and Qualcomm just gave up. throw, said NXP stock tumbling back into the double digits. So how do we evaluate this thing as a standalone company without any takeover talk? Well, the very next day, NXP reported quarterly earnings, and the numbers? Not so hot. Company delivered a top line miss, even as its earnings were in line. The problem, some of it came down to the ban on selling components to Z. T-E. And that's that big Chinese cell phone maker, which fortunately has been now lifted, right? There's no more ban anymore. Part of it also had to do with supply chain component shortages in the auto division. Once again, the stock got slammed. But then something funny happened. Pretty much overnight, five different analysts decided to upgrade NXP, which stopped the stock's decline in its tracks. Then on Friday morning, CEO Rick Clemmer sat down with David Faber, my partner on Squawk, fabulous interview. Uh, I almost wish I wasn't uh, on vacation because the interview was just so bullish. I would have ripped up my show Friday. So let me lay out the bull thesis here as presented by Clemmer, whom I know and like and respect on the conference call, because I think he makes some compelling arguments. First, Clemmer tells us not to worry because, and I quote, while the organization has experienced a level of deal fatigue, the core basics of the business have actually strengthened, and our position in auto and Internet of Things is now stronger than we announced the transaction." 21 months ago, end quote. How strong? He predicts that the company can achieve a three-year compound growth rate of 5 to 7%, which is 50% faster than the addressable market is growing. He also adds that the company's having its analyst day on September 11th. And that's when they'll get down into the nitty-gritty of these forecasts. I like that. You got a catalyst, a data point. Then Clemmer tells us what he's doing to get the stock moving right now. When NXP accepted Qualcomm's takeover bid, they suspended their capital return program. Well, now that's coming back with a vengeance fueled in part by Qualcomm's $2 billion termination fee. NXP just announced a $5 billion buyback, which is huge when you consider that there's only a $32 billion company. They're going to repurchase 15% of the share count at these levels, and they've got more than enough cash to make it happen. According to JP Morgan, if NXP does this quickly, repurchasing $5 billion worth of stock in the next six months, the company could earn more than 8 bucks in a share next year. Eight bucks. If they can deliver on that, then this stock will be trading at less than 12 times next year's earnings, making it the cheapest large cap semiconductor that I follow. I think that's a pretty compelling argument. Well, okay, we could argue Micron, but Micron's a little bit more commodity. This is a little higher end. You know, I got a couple more points here. Let's not forget that while NXP is a $95 stock, Qualcomm was willing to pay $127.50 per share for the whole enchilada. In other words, the folks who run Qualcomm, real smart people, thought NXP was Worth thirty-two dollars more than where it's currently trading. And look, Qualcomm's executives—they're not idiots. I mean, there's value here. Why were they willing to pay so much? They wanted to diversify away from cell phones. And NXP's bread and butter—the connected car and the Internet of Things. Well. That's where you want to be. So let's talk about the autos for a second, because NXP is the number one chipmaker there, and a lot of people are skeptical about owning anything connected to autos. We keep putting more and more semiconductor content in our cars, no matter how many cars we sell. And we do that for uh, infotainment and security and autonomous driving and electric vehicles. Well, who do you think makes the chips that handle collision avoidance and radar and all the technologies that will ultimately help us get to self-driving cars? NXP. Just listen to what Clemmer had to say about this business on Squawk on the Street last Friday
3: we actually see, you know, 75 billion connected devices by the year 2025, three times what it is today. Right. So being able, those factors play right into our sweet spot. So we're well positioned to take advantage of that, being the leading semiconductor supplier into automotive, now moving into autonomous driving. We also now have developed technology where we can be a significant player in the electric vehicle market, especially as China has set aggressive targets on electric vehicle deployment.
1: Boy, I like everything I just heard. And by the way, it's not just Hordos. NXP helped pioneer technologies called near field communication. It still has a lot, of, a ton of potential. It's what uh, it lets you use your smartphone as a credit card, think Apple Pay, or exchange contacts with your friends just by sticking your phones next to each other. Now, when NXP reported, they mentioned that they'd lost some business in mobile. Well, that got people down. On the call, Clemmer told us that the company saw, quote, some of our strategic mobile customers disengaging our new expanded opportunities, end quote. Uh, Okay, in plain English, I think this means that NXP lost some Apple business because Apple didn't want to deal with the Qualcomm subsidiary. They've been engaged in a major ongoing spat with Qualcomm. We can't know for sure because Apple suppliers aren't allowed to talk about their business directly. But hey, now that the Qualcomm deal's been called off, this won't be a problem anymore. Obviously, Apple can't just slot NXP's chips in the uh, current generation of iPhones. But long-term, I bet that they can win this business back, as NXP makes the best near-field communication chips from what my sources say. In short, this deal falling apart could actually be a positive, a major positive for a big part of their business. So I like the fundamental picture even after a couple of soft quarters in a row because the tie up with Qualcomm was weighing on NXP sales. Uh, but what about the technicals? You know what, we decided to check in with Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, the brilliant technician, the three men all-star team behind the street.com's trifecta stocks newsletter and the author of Know Your Options. And he wasn't too sanguine about NXP. As far as Lang's concerned, it's a bearish picture. However, He says that if the stock can hold above the low 90s, there's a chance it could quickly bounce up to 105. Here's the bottom line. I think last week the big washout in NXP semis has given you a buying opportunity. Now that we know the Qualcomm deal is not happening, we can focus on NXP's prospects again, and I like what I see. I think you can buy some here. And then add your position if you like what the company has to say at their analyst day in September. It's a washed-out, de risk tech story in a market-filled, with very risky dynamics. Let's go to Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well, Bill. How about you? Not too
3: bad. Recently, Jim, uh, or a while back, I bought some stock called OLED, O-L-E-D, and the stock actually hit a high of 200, and then it started really falling. However, recently, it started to climb back, and one of my brokers said to... To get back in because it's going to be it's going to be really dynamic and super. What's your opinion on Olegia?
1: It's a supplier to cell phones, and I have been staying away from the pure supplier to cell phones. Because what I do fear is that cell phones are going to continue to be in the doldrums. I like more Internet of Things. I mean, all these companies have a little bit of Internet of Things. But I just think that if if cell phones are going to stay as flat as I believe, even with the new-style OLED panels, I don't want to be there. NXPI's decline is an opportunity of all sorts. It's an opportunity to focus on the company's prospects after the fall of the Qualcomm deal. And it's an opportunity to do some buying. Buy, buy, buy! Coming up, is Lamb Research ready to fight like a lion? I'm going one-on-one with the CEO, Martin Ansis, in my deeply respect after possible bottom. Then looking for a flat profit? I'm finding out if Chubb, one of our best insurers, could weather any storm when I sit down with the company's top brass. And all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Has LAM Research, the big semiconductor equipment maker, finally gotten its groove back? Last year, this stock was just on fire. It's climbing 75%. Then the industry's growth slowed, and the darn thing stalled out. It's now up just 2% for 2018. But last Thursday, something really kind of funny happened. LAM Research reported a better-than-expected quarter with somewhat disappointing guidance. And what happens? After initially selling off in after hours trading, the stock comes back with a vengeance on Friday, ultimately gaining 7% as investors like what they heard on the conference call. While Lamb delivered a solid 37 cent earnings beat off a $4.94 basis, with higher than expected sales up 8% sequentially, the forecast for the next quarter was light. What turned things around? On the conference call, CEO Martin has pretty much called the bottom in semiconductor equipment predicting that this current quarter would mark the low point in demand, the result of temporary weakness that will soon be a thing of the past. That's why the stock surged. Could this be the beginning of a larger run, or is it going to be taken down like the rest of tech here? Let's take a close look with Martin Ansis. He's the CEO of Lamb Research. Get a better sense of the quarter and where the company is headed. Mr. Ansis, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you.
1: Okay, Martin. So I've gone through the comments, and all the analyst notes, And I have to admit, I always have to ask a CEO, when things are declining and they call a bottom, give me a couple pieces of evidence why you're willing to stick your neck out, because no one's asking you to do it, Martin. You didn't need to do it.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I think you know, one of the responsibilities you have as a CEO is to tell it as you see it. Um, and uh, we spend a lot of time dialoguing with our customers, understanding their plans for investments. As I've opined many times now, today's industry is different in many respects, and one of them is the cycle of adjustment and the, and the relative stability and sustainability. And I felt like it was an important headline to communicate in the mix of uh, several Uh, In the quarter, we just completed our strongest fiscal year in history, $11 billion of revenues, 40 percent growth. Our most recent completed quarter, the strongest in the history of the company in in revenues and uh, profits. A lot to be proud of. And uh, the future is is something we're really optimistic about.
1: Well, I think you're doing something that uh, your predecessor, Rick Hill, did periodically, which is that he used the downturn to buy back a monster amount of stock. And then when things turned, he said, look, I told you it was going to turn. I had a chance to get in. This seems very cut from the cloth of that playbook.
4: Well, you know, I... uh I've been pretty consistent now, I think, for the last six or seven years around you know, the relative priorities for the company. First and foremost, invest in our growth, uh, positioning a product and services portfolio to be unique in its um, offering to the success of our customers. I feel like the company's performed well in that regard. And when we have cash, there's excess to that need to, to return it to our shareholders via repurchase and dividend. And we've been super disciplined about that. And uh, the guidance we've just given is uh, incorporating about a 10 million share count reduction and that's part of what you've just spoken to.
1: Now, we do know that there's been still weakness in uh, some of the you know, in, in, in some pricing in, in DRAMs. Uh, you're, are you saying that the word sustainability means that these companies, your customers, see it? They are unwilling to go down the path of just total destruction of margins. They are going to be considered about their buying. And that's one of the reasons that September could be the bottom.
4: I think we've been in that world for a long time, if I'm honest with you, Jim. Uh, We live in a world where profitable market share is the objective, not just market share for our industry and for the industry of of our customers as well. Um, Today, uh, we live in a world where uh, memory customers are all reporting in the range of 40 to 50% operating income. Uh, Memory uh, revenue growth uh, has been at an all-time high, and, and that's a byproduct of You know, the fundamental value proposition that exists today in the realm of the evergreen verticals we talked about last time, the infrastructure needs of the world, the healthcare needs of the world, the agriculture needs of the world, redefining connectivity and cloud memory and storage and computation. And, you know, that's a fundamental message uh, that I think is uh, relevant for understanding value of the entire semiconductor ecosystem.
1: In the time that you've been in this industry, you've been in a long time. Tell me how long it takes to build a Greenfield DRAM plant now versus 20 years ago.
4: Well, uh, it's, it's, everything is faster. Um, the, the speed at which uh, people build clean rooms today and uh, install equipments you know, can run uh, a year to two. Um, But I think what's important is just because people have a clean room doesn't mean they fill it with equipment just because they can. The investments, the discipline from our customers today means they invest in capacity when they have demand for chips. And uh, I think that's a, a commentary on on health and sustainability in our industry. I mean, let's not forget that the semiconductor revenues in the last four or five years have increased by about $120 billion. um, And that's 0.2% of global GDP. And that reflects the increased value proposition of the industry in the, in the the broader data economy. And uh, it's a tr- terrific commentary on the opportunity for silicon, for equipment companies, and specifically for LAM Research.
1: All right. Well, look, I, 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 you did say that there was going to be a couple quarters of weakness. And now I understand that you're saying there can be a trough. So you were money good on the downturn. I'm betting your money good on the upturn. Martin Nance, the CEO of LAM Research. I'm not going against this guy. Stick with Kramer. Moment to thank all the amazing new friends we met down in Grand Isle, Louisiana at the Tarpon Rodeo. Yes, oldest fishing derby in the country where our boat, the Sharish, took it home. Uh, and I gotta tell you, Ashton Lifter's the guy who really got the thing it. Let's make that clear. Okay, it is time. It is time for the lightning random cameras fan money. That's what I think. Rapid Calls wanted to know this in the soccer, bye 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 and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Day? It is time for the lightning round on Claimer's Bad Money. Will you look at that? Yeah. Let's start with Cecil in the bottom. Cecil. Yes, hey, Jim, hi. How are you? I'm a I am good. Pretty member. Oh, okay, good. What's up? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, six flags. Yeah, I like Six really Flags. They had a better quarter than people thought. I think, I'm going to endorse it as a buy. Let's go to Betty in Michigan. Betty. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah Thanks for taking Betty. my call. Uh, Western Digital. I'm in at 80. What are your thoughts? Well, it doesn't matter where your stock came from, where it's going to, but now it's all the way down to 69. It yields almost 3%. I think it could fall four or five more points, and then I want to buy it. Pricing has collapsed for Nan. Let's go to Mike and Maryland. Mike.
2: Hey, Jim, good to talk to you. Would you buy uh, Aragon right
1: here? I don't know. It just was up almost five points today. It was about 170, not that long ago. It's having a real run. They're getting some real approvals. They're starting to straighten the story out, uh, but it has had a big run. I think I would wait till under 180 to get that thing done. Let's go to Paul in Illinois. Paul. Hi, Jim. Because of your wisdom, I'm able to help send my boy. He's my best friend. The Georgetown University. get Yes. His with Will Denwaller, who happened to be on with us for the Tarpon Rodeo. ahead. He wants to be the next Jim Cramer. My question really? is. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> my My portfolio is overweighted with Procter and Gamble. I need to get back to $84 to be even. What should I do? Well, we don't care where it's coming from. We care it's going to. We got Nelson Peltz on the board now. We got that real good yield. But what I think you ought to do is pick among the rubble, use the weakness to be able to buy some of the tech stocks that I've been talking about. That's the way to go to diversify away from just all proctor. How about David in California? David. Booyah to you from Carpinteria, California, Jim. Oh, all right. What's going on? Want to find out what's
4: your opinion of uh, Principal Financial Group, PFG? I think it's it should device. be
1: following the way of Prime It's got a good yield. I think it's coming back. I think that's a good buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the special Harpin Rodeo edition of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by T. G. Ameritrade.
1: I'm to circle back to the insurance space. This group spend most of the 2018, say, in the doghouse, because P&C, or property and casualty insurance companies, are levered to interest rates. Remember how the industry works. Insurers don't just take your premiums and then lock that money up in a vault. They invest it, which means when it, rates are rising, they can generate a better risk-free return. That means the insurance stocks did go out of style when the yield on the Benchmark benchmark 10-year treasury started falling earlier this year. But now that yield on the 10-year is climbing again, the group has gotten a whole new lease on life. Plus, pricing had been very competitive here. It now seems to have gotten less cutthroat. Take Chubb Limited, the insurance company created by the merger of the old Chubb with Ace Limited back in 2016. At the end of June, the stock was down 13% for the year. Since then, it's rallied more than 10% just in July alone. Oh, and Last week, Chubb reported a darn good quarter, a nice earnings beat, driven by, and a quote, "excellent underwriting and investment results." So, can Chubb keep climbing here, even if its latest move, the stock remains down roughly four percent for the year, which means it's got some catching up to do. Let's check in with Evan Greenberg, the chairman CEO of Chubb Limited, hear more about the quarter and where the company is headed. Mr. Greenberg, welcome back to Mayor Money. Good to see you, sir. Jim, good to see you. Good. Now, I have to tell you, I know that rates are important but I'm, uh, for, for your company, but I see every single line, with the exception of just small nailing things, you've got price, every single line. This has got to just fall right to the bottom line.
3: Well, you know, some of it falls to the bottom line. But remember, loss costs rise right. every year. You have a certain amount of inflation whether it's on property related or it's casualty related. So just to stand in place, you have to get rate. Right.
1: But you are generating a lot a lot of cash. And I know these analysts are all trying to figure out whether you're gonna do another big deal. It sounds like you wanna use the cash to be able to expand around the world. That's a pretty good business.
3: We have operations in 54 countries around the world. And if you look at this quarter, which I think is, is evidence of our future, we're firing on all cylinders. Asia, Latin America, the US, we've had growth in our commercial business, in our consumer-oriented businesses, and I just see that momentum building in the company.
1: Okay, so for the non cognizant for our audience, you say in North America, for example, rates overall were up 3% versus 1.9% last quarter.
3: That's actually a monumental amount of money for you, isn't it? Well, I don't think it's monumental. When you imagine that loss costs are rising anywhere between 4% and six percent. So you know that's that's you're still not keeping pace with loss costs, but it's better than it has been. Okay. And by the way, for the last number of years, rates have been going down. Right. That's what I'm. And lo- so I'm looking at an inflation. Well, point here. That, that's the point. And so rates have been going down on one hand, and on the other hand, you have inflation. So you know you you do need price increase to um to maintain a healthy you know, to maintain a healthy risk-adjusted return. I think a lot of
1: our viewers think, look, I haven't had anything go up in value. Where is the inflation in the system that you see?
3: Well, it's on the liability side. Imagine mergers and acquisitions liability, directors and officers liability. Almost every single merger or acquisition has a shareholder suit. And by the way, most of them, around 80% of them, no money goes to the shareholders. It goes to the trial bar. now you have a, So you have inflation there. Um, most liability. Um, you see, you see the loss costs rising. And then, by the way, in property, whether it's the cost of repairs, the cost of parts, the cost of labor, of materials, um, costs are rising. Okay. Now, one thing that
1: you're doing, both to combat costs and also because you've been, you've been the visionary in the industry, digital. You're digitally. You're finally getting digitized. It seemed like the <laughs> industry itself was just ledgers. What does it mean, because you emphasize what it means to spend that money on digital.
3: You know, we spend over a billion dollars a year on technology. And let's imagine this, I see it differently. It's, it's, we're in a world that's going from analog to digital. Everything is. If you remain analog, you're history. So of course you're gonna digitize. People want um, anytime, anywhere service. The notion of the product we provide, which is about repairing it or replacing it it's going to move towards predict and prevent which is about using data and using internet of things iot and then imagine our ability to service you in in claims and in underwriting right now if you're a small business to underwrite you we ask you about 30 questions for chubb over the next 18 months that'll come down to about seven questions because we can just scrape the answers from data that is publicly available, don't need to bother you with that. Eventually, gonna have to ask you two questions. What's your name? What's your address? And we'll be able to figure out the rest underwrite.
1: Well, I, in full disclosure, I've been a Chubb customer for uh, close to 30 years, and. I only get to ask those questions now, and it's not favoritism, you just have my complete record. But I want to congratulate you. I think this is the inflection, and Chubb is the best in the industry. Thank
3: you so much. Jim, thanks so
1: much. Absolutely. Great seeing you, my okay, friend. that's Evan Greenberg, Chairman CEO of Chubb CB. The rates are going higher, the opportunities to invest are getting better, and digitization is gonna save them a fortune. They have money's back there the right? talk so much tech tonight, we didn't talk Caterpillar. The main lesson of Caterpillar is once again, if you did not wait for the conference call, you bought the stock up four to five points, and the stock ended up down. That has been a continual theme of this earnings season. So shame on you if you buy before you hear it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.